If you want to get a debate going around the dinner table, there are a lot of topics available. Like, is there an afterlife? How do you define a sport? And exactly how big is Clifford the Big Red Dog? But if you really want to start an argument, you might ask the table which is better. Star Wars A New Hope or Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back? Great debates about movie sequels are timeless. You'll still find people today going toe-to-toe over Star Wars, Terminator, and Alien. But what's also timeless is the concept of a sequel. Following up a popular movie with another one, which might be better, but might also be worse. In today's movie market, dominated by blockbuster hits, it's easy to see the push for sequels as a cynical cash grab. Or just everyone trying to be Marvel. But sequels aren't bad. They're just misunderstood. Making a follow-up film is a unique challenge with a very specific set of decisions. And that nuance helps explain why so many sequels are, well, not good. But it also offers a blueprint for making a really great one. This is The Court's Obsession, a podcast that explores the fascinating backstories behind everyday ideas and what they tell us about the global economy. I'm your host, Kira Bindram. Today, sequels, the quest to make lightning strike twice. I am joined now by Adario Strange, who is here with me in the studio. Adario is Quartz's media and entertainment reporter. And I feel like the first question I need to ask you, Adario, is what is your favorite sequel? Oh, wow. I, I guess... Throughout the long history of sequels, it would be The Empire Strikes Back, but I love so many. But yeah, that would be top. That would be the top one. Actually, I think that it's, yeah, that would be it, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're going to DM me in like three hours. You're like, wait, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I meant to say, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's very tempting to just talk to you about movies right off the bat, like specific movies. But before we go any further, I actually want to start by defining some terms or maybe even debating some terms. What would you say is the difference between a sequel, a reboot, and a franchise? Okay. So a good example of a sequel would be Blade Runner, even though there was like a 35-year gap. You have consistent characters, and it expands on the plot. Uh, Reboot would be Dune, where, again, another property from the 80s, but the latest version is essentially the same story, but completely new actors, somewhat different aesthetic, but it's basically the same story, just completely rebooted. And Franchise is... I think that kind of like gets more into the business side of things. It's like, can we exploit this as a studio, as producers? Can we exploit this as merchandise, toys? Can we create spinoffs? So that would be kind of like franchise cinematic universe fair. So if we are taking the same characters and the same story and realizing it maybe in a slightly different way years later, that's a reboot. If we are carrying that story forward with the same characters, that's probably a sequel. And if we are taking that plot and group of characters and expanding out beyond it, bringing in new people and new stories, that is a cinematic universe. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, but I think it's important to note that cinematic universe, it sounds like it's about aesthetics, but I think it's more about commerce, frankly. Creating more opportunities to yeah. sell stuff, basically. Yeah, to exploit the property, to yeah. exploit the IP. Okay, it is time for a game because I love a game. This game is called Highs and Lows. 
And here's how it works. You came prepared, I hope, with a short list of two of the highest grossing sequels of all time. You are going to describe the plot of each, and I am going to hopefully successfully guess which sequel it is. And then in return, I have come with a list of two of the worst sequels of all time, and I will describe the plot to you and see if you can guess. And that will be our game. Are you ready? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. You go first. So describe the plot. Uh, humanity has been wiped out. Our villain has had to go through an, an epic odyssey-like journey to uh, reach his goal, his or her goal, no clues. And now our few remaining heroes must travel to the ends of the universe to attempt to make things right. Is, is this Aliens? No. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked you didn't get this. Am oh, I wow. dumb? What is it? Wait, <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Okay. All right. Uh, that's Avengers Endgame. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I'm not a Marvel person. <laughs> Phew. I was like, geez, Kira. <laughs> um, all right. So. Spoilers. Dang. The other one. Um, okay. So a. Oh, man. I'm trying to figure out how to say this without, without giving you a clue. A high level practitioner of a particular art has gone missing. And the key to reviving the resistance force, damn it, that's a clue, the resistance force to fight against the evil powers that be hinges on finding this top-level general and practitioner of a certain art. Okay, this is Empire? No. no. Oh, my it's God. No, 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 no. <laughs> So, answer, yes? Yeah. Star Wars The Force Awakens. Okay, it was a Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were close. You were close. I'll give myself a B-. minus. Now I'm scared. I feel like you're going to make this one okay. really hard well, for me. Well, there's <laughs> probably some, some clues in mind, but... Right. Okay, number one, bad sequel. Annie is looking forward to a Caribbean cruise with her cop boyfriend, who purchased the tickets to make up for lying about working on the SWAT team. Rude. Their trip turns dangerous, however, when an explosion disables the ship's communication system and it becomes clear that the vessel is under someone else's control. Alex and Annie must fight for survival as they discover that a crazed passenger is behind the chaos. Annie is the actual character's name? Character's or you name. Just... Character's name. Okay, I don't know, so I'm just going to guess. Yeah, go for it. Passenger 51? That's a good guess. Speed 2. Speed Dang it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's because you expect her to be with Keanu, but she's not anymore because he didn't do Speed 2. Right. right. To be fair, Speed 2 grossed $48 at the box office. It did pretty well, but it was, I think, universally considered quite bad. (laughs) Okay. Number two, bad sequel. A cartoonist and family man lives a peaceful existence with his wife as well as their infant son and dog. When the curious canine finds a mask with mystical properties, both dog and baby create chaos with its powers. While they try to contain the damage, the sly Norse god Loki comes looking for the artifact, resulting in more mishaps that ultimately incur the wrath of the deity's powerful father, Odin. Don't you want to watch that now? There are so... I feel like you just gave me all these clues, and I have no idea. There's a baby who found a mask? I have no idea. And Loki is involved. Loki is involved. This is live action or animation? This Ah. is live action with a good bit of CGI. A baby? I, I think I'm stumped. Okay. I didn't know this movie existed until I was ah, preparing for this game. Okay. It is Son of the Mask, the oh, sequel to The see, Mask. Was, see, when you said that, I thought it was yeah. a Mask sequel. It came but... out in 2005, which is so much later than The Mask, and it only made $17 million at the box office. See, when you threw the Loki thing in, that threw me off. That threw the scent off. I think that threw the watchers yeah. off. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knew Loki was part of The Mask? 
Okay. I'm interested now. I want to see that. <laughs> so clearly this game means that you and I need to go home and watch Son of the Mask over this weekend, and, and we will consider that our homework. The other thing I think it makes clear is that sequels can be pretty hit or miss, <laughs> depending on a lot of things. And I think that's part of what makes them really fun to debate, because you form kind of an attachment to these characters, this universe, and now you kind of feel some type of way about how it's developed, and then you can sort of go at that with other people. So I want to really wrap my head around how the sequel was born, both culturally and as a business model. When I think of the great sequel debates, I'm thinking of Terminator, Alien, Jurassic Park, but those are all happening in the last 30 years. So what would you argue is the first sequel that we know about? Uh, as far as I can find, it's uh, Fall of a Nation, which is the follow-up to Birth of a Nation. So 1915 for Birth of a Nation, and then they rushed out Fall of a Nation in 1916, I believe. And the idea in Fall of a Nation is that they're you know, protecting America from invading Europeans, I think led by Germany, perhaps. Of all of the movies you could have said for the first sequel, that is not the one that I would have come to mind first. It's interesting. It makes me think that at the time, a sequel is about replicating a message, whereas now it's about replicating financial success versus messaging. I've never seen Fall of a Nation, so I can't get that deep into what it's about per se. But both films seem to be about, you know, kind of America rising up for whatever reasons, uh, <laughs> to fight for some particular cause. Yeah. No more sequels in that camp, I think. That franchise can be done. One would hope. So let me ask you, if we had to invent like a framework or a checklist that's maybe not foolproof, but is pretty good for determining whether a sequel is going to be good or maybe even better than the original, what are the things that we should be looking for to say, mm, that one will probably pass muster? First of all, it remains true to the original, but there's a major twist. If it just tries to repeat what happened before, that's, that is kind of like the opposite. That's kind of like on the list of like what not to do. It doesn't necessarily bring back the main character, but it almost always brings back the supporting character or one of the fan favorites, you know, in terms of characters from the first. And then the look, the aesthetic, the cinematography, the, the costumes, just the aesthetic of the original. I've seen some decent sequels where... Just the original director wasn't on board. The original effects crew, they weren't on board. And it was a great effort as a sequel, but it just doesn't look the same. It doesn't look connected at all to the original. What about the same question in reverse? What are the indicators that a sequel will not be good or is maybe being made for the wrong reasons? One of the worst things you can do is try to make the sequel too fast. The audiences can immediately grok that you're just being greedy and you try to do this really quick turnaround. Also, if none of the original cast returns, if you know the sequel is like a real sequel, a meaningful sequel, and no one, like not even minor, just it's just all new people, why didn't you just make a new movie? Why aren't we just watching a new film? Why, why is this a sequel? And then finally, I would say, um, if the plot is just a blatant ripoff of like, oh, this worked the first time, we made money from this, we're just going to literally repeat this. Mm -hmm. Just the plot is like a beat-by-beat -beat repeat of the original. There's no twist, there's no expansion on the narrative, it's just like a complete copy, like carbon copy. It's just a copy. So good is a good number of people from the original coming back and or someone specific, some big loved character coming back. Good is twists or the promise of a twist and good is keeping the aesthetic and sort of look and feel of the original. 
bad is doing it too soon, sort of divorcing that aesthetic and look and feel a narrative from what's happening. Huge. And no one coming back from the original, why didn't you just make a, yeah. a different movie? That totally makes sense. What do you think is the perfect amount of time between original and sequel? Give us at least two and a half to three years, at least. And, and then the reverse question, I think we've now, we have proof that there's pretty much no limit to how long you can go. Like, you know, the 35-year um, Blade Runner sequel. It, there's pretty much no limit as long as you do it well. But if you just, like, really rush it the next year, that's bad. I almost feel like we need a name for that. Like, it's sort of the generational sequel where you're making a second movie, but it's been so long that the people who are seeing the second movie were not alive or old enough to see movies when the first one came out. So you kind of get this double whammy of nostalgia for people who loved the original and want to see a reboot or a sequel. And then you get this other new group of people who are being introduced to those characters. Blade Runner is probably a really good example of this, where the sequel was made a lot later than the original. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. makes me think of what is possibly a dumb question. But if I am making a sequel, if I'm a studio, what are the motivations? Why would a studio be pursuing sequels? Always money. Always money. It would be nice to think that Hollywood is somehow this altruistic, like really like, oh, we need to send all these messages. And you know, sometimes there's a producer or a director involved that maybe has that intent. But you know, at the end of the day, it's all about money. And um, at that point, once we have agreed to a sequel, then it's about, are we going to just do a money grab or are we going to try to craft like a real piece of art? So you don't think there's an artistic argument for making 27 Fast and the Furious movies? No. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. No. Vin Diesel, I apologize, you know, from a fellow uh, East Coaster. But no, I'm sorry. Fair enough. Is that inherently bad? Like, is that a bad incentive that the reason that most sequels are made is money, even if some of the sequels they produce are some of these all-time greats that even surpassed the original? No, no. We need to test and, and push and pull to see what works. And sometimes we'll have a dud. Sometimes we'll have, you know, a sequel that is clearly a money grab and the and craftsmanship didn't go into it. It takes a lot to successfully land a really good sequel that resonates with fans. Also, you know, pays off at the box office, doesn't diminish the original source material. But yeah, money. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This country is, you know, about making money to a large extent. So why not? Yeah. And money in this case is a stand-in for people going to see a thing that you made. So, yeah. yeah. You're serving the public. After the break, the big business of franchises. Okay, I want to come back to franchises and sort of this idea of the cinematic universe. And Marvel is the most iconic, top-of-mind example when we think about a franchise. In other words, everyone wants to find a movie that can have multiple sequels now, and Marvel is the studio to beat. I think a lot of people would argue, and do argue, that this is ultimately a bad thing for culture. That we are afraid of new ideas and characters, so we just keep doing this rinse and repeat on things that are already having big audiences. And I'm curious what you think of that argument. Well, I, I'm kind of in the camp of I don't want too many sequels and too many franchises. I do want one-offs. I do want films that just like live as one film forever and that's it and we don't dive deeper. We need those. But I think franchises are actually good and whether it's a successful one or a bad one, we need those because, again, it's we're exploring 
Like when you're sitting around talking about your favorite films, what if is what you always say. What if this character had done that? What if she had gone off with him? What if they had managed to win that fight? What if they, you know, and sequels kind of satisfy that need. Sequels like explore that what if side of our brain. So from a fan and viewer audience side of things, yeah, I think sequels kind of like feed that kind of what if exploration that we have in the back of our mind. And then just for the health of Hollywood, for the health of films in general, if you're serving audiences, giving them what they want, why not? I, don't, I just don't, I'm not a believer that, you know, that that's a bad thing. I don't, I don't think fan service is a bad thing. Yeah, I love that idea that sequels are the are the what if that not every sequel is going to be a success, but that every sequel is an opportunity is kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah, I love absolutely, that. Absolutely. Another thing the franchise makes me think about and I think other people is the parallel with television, both in terms of the quality of production, which has gone up over time in television and kind of the time spent. Is there such a big difference between spending three hours a year watching the latest Marvel movie and eight hours a year binge watching the latest season of a, of a series I love? Do you see those two mediums converging, coming together? So I think Hollywood does a pretty good job of blurring the lines, at least recently, between film and TV, particularly with regard to Marvel. But generally, what I've found is the TV properties generally look nothing like the film properties. Like, for instance, if you take um, the Superman, Supergirl, Batwoman or Batgirl, Hawkeye, all this stuff, it generally doesn't look like the film versions of what we see. I think you could also argue that TV actually played a big role in the development of maybe a franchise or a cinematic universe. Angel spun off from Buffy. Xena, Warrior Princess, was a spinoff of Hercules. Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff of Happy Days. All in the Family spun off seven different shows, including the Jeffersons. Uh, Frasier was a spinoff of Cheers. There's all of these examples. Don't even get me started on the Law & Order Cinematic Universe, which is one of the great TV universes of our time. CSI. Yeah, so I think there is also, it's not just a movie thing, the idea that a great character or a great story can then be sort of siphoned off into another great character, great story, or franchise. Yes, yes, absolutely. To what degree do you think fan culture is informing sequels, but maybe even just the franchise world. It seems to me now that there's a lot more interplay between fans and content creators. You might say more expectation on the part of fans to have a voice in how a character or a story develops. Are we seeing that in the final product? Absolutely. The best example of that, and this is kind of away from film and, and back to TV, is uh, The Book of Boba Fett. It is essentially a fan service vehicle. It's all about fan service. It's unearthing all of these little side tales that fans have always wanted to see realized on screen. It doesn't matter what level of a director you are, you know, how talented you are. If you're going into something that has deep canon, like a comic book series, graphic novel series, you must consider the fan. You must. They're just part of it. Before, you know, decades past, we didn't have social media, so you had to kind of hunt and peck and try to figure out what does a fan think? What do they want? And you do test screenings and kind of like surveys and that kind of stuff, field reports. That just gives you like a tiny sample. Now it is unambiguous what fans want with regard to any franchise, any source material. You know. You know not to do certain things to Luke Skywalker. You, you, you don't abuse Baby Yoda. You don't abuse Baby Yoda. Protect Baby Yoda. So, yes. Let that be the lesson. Let that, yeah. This is the way. Okay, I have one more question for you. Is there any movie that you consider like singular canon, never make a sequel of this movie? Wow, that is a great, great question. Huh. I will say, 
and this is maybe not the answer you're looking for, The Matrix. I wish The Matrix had never had any sequels. Now, this is coming from someone who I like The Matrix Reloaded. But when I look at the arc of that entire story and the characters and how well it was developed by the Wachowskis, just leave it. The Mm -hmm. Matrix. And if you notice, when people criticize the sequels in the Matrix franchise, they always preface it by, I like the first one, but but how often do you hear such universal praise for the first one in a series? Occasionally, I've heard people say they don't like the first, but generally, everyone acknowledges that the first one is brilliant. It's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me. This was great. Thank you. That's our obsession for the week. This episode was produced by Katie Jane Fernelius. Our sound engineer is George Drake, and our executive producer is Alex Osla. The theme music is by Taka Yazuzawa and Alex Sugira. Special thanks to Adario Strange in New York. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Tell them that our second season is the Terminator 2 of podcasts, better than the first. Then head to qz.com obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. 